for this morning. We need to deal with some family business. It's going to be fun family business, not bad family business. Don't be scared, but it's family business. So for those of you for whom reality is your church, you're committed to this church and you're committed to your relationships here, we need to talk about some wonderful stuff this morning. If you're visiting, it may pertain a little bit less to you. Nonetheless, we're happy that you're here. I think you'll get something out of it either way, but this is some family business. We need to talk about staying on mission as a multi-campus church. As you know, on September 4th, we're going to become one church in three locations. And this involves a lot, including a lot of change. As we follow Christ into mission, endeavoring to be obedient to what he wants to do in the coastlands. So we just want to talk a bit about that this morning. Let's ask the Lord to bless it. Lord, we thank you first for your wonderful love toward us. Thank you, God, that your love is made evident in what your son Christ did for us on the cross. Thank you that when we put our faith in him, though our sins are many, they're all forgiven. And though we were stained and weighed down with guilt and shame, we're washed white as snow and set free. And though we were hopeless and void and wandering, we have peace and joy and meaning because of you. God, we thank you for these things. And we thank you for the way that we experience them together as a church and the way we get to push that good news out into our communities together. And we just pray that you make us a church that is effective at doing that. And so speak to us about that this morning, Lord. Give us one heart and one mind. Make us of one accord. Cause our hearts to be more enamored with your love and the gospel than ever before and more committed to your mission than ever before. And I ask, Lord, that you would please anoint me to speak these things. It's the privilege of my lifetime to preach and teach at this church. I've never felt worthy or able or deserving to do this. I, I know it's by grace and I'm, I'm, I'm dependent upon your grace and your spirit. So please anoint me to do it for your glory that I might represent you rightly in what you want to do in our church this morning. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the kind of fun things that's happening in our church right now is that we have a lot of pregnancies and babies being birthed, just a whole bunch of them in our church. You'll start looking around, you'll see a bunch of young ladies who are pregnant and just bulging and and looking beautiful. Uh, Two of our staff members and their wives recently had babies. Pastor Al just had a little girl and Pastor Sean and DJ just had a little girl. And so there's just lots of babies pregnancies, birthing, people getting pregnant. It's awesome. It's wonderful. And uh, you caught that. Having babies (laughs) is a great thing. Having babies is beautiful. Having babies is glorious. Having babies is difficult, isn't it? Yeah, amen. Okay, (laughs) spoken like a true mama. Having babies is difficult. Uh, our, our two pastors on staff, Alan Sean, who just had babies, I, I had time to reconnect with both of them this week after not seeing them for about a month. And they were both rejoicing about their baby girls, but they were also lamenting. Uh, Pastor Sean, it's his first little baby. And so he hasn't slept in, you know, a month and a half. And he's literally starting to lose his mind from sleep deprivation. He's literally going a little nutty. And so as excited as he is about his little girl, he's also like, oh, this is crazy. This is so hard. Pastor Al, on the other hand, it's his third baby and third girl in the house. 
So he's rejoicing, but he's also like, wow, three little girls in the house now. This is really, really difficult. So having babies is wonderful and beautiful and marvelous, and it's hard. And the larger the baby, the more difficult it is. For example, Daisy Love was almost 10 and a half pounds when she was born. And about nine of those pounds were head. (laughs) Cabeza. She had the most unnaturally large head you have ever seen. And uh, it was a difficult birth. If if you've ever seen my wife, she's petite. She's 5'3 on a good day. Uh, Very small. And Daisy was very not small. And uh, it almost killed both of them. It it really did. It was a, a dangerous birth. Daisy was caught in the birth canal for too long. She stopped breathing. Her heart stopped beating. She came out essentially dead. They were able to revive her. Uh, Horrible things happened to my wife. She was in danger. It became a, a medical emergency when Daisy was being birthed because she was so huge. And as difficult and as challenging as it is to give birth, we always together as culture see birth as a sign of life. Wherever birth is happening, there's life. And and there's new life that's going forth. There's a life, giving life to a life, it's previous life, and there's new life. And, And what we all understand together as humanity is that, and really as creation, is that healthy things grow and reproduce. Healthy things grow and reproduce. In juxtaposition to that, my dad. Some of you may have heard that right before we left for Hawaii about a month ago for vacation, my dad had what we thought was a heart attack. Uh, Had to go over to his house in the morning when my mom called, uh, assessed the situation. We called 911. They came, rushed him to the emergency room. Turns out that it wasn't a heart attack, but they haven't been able to diagnose yet exactly what it is. They thought it might be some strange infectious disease or this and that. He's gone through a month of testing, every sort of testing you can imagine, seen multiple doctors of the same sort of doctors trying to pinpoint this thing, and they're not able to pinpoint it. Some, something's wrong, and they're, they're not exactly sure. The last doctor that he went to was a cardiologist, and the cardiologist said to him, listen, once you pass 40 you're starting to die. (laughs) The guy was rather blunt. (laughs) My dad didn't really like him very much. (laughs) Being in his late 60s, the doctor said, once you pass 40, you're starting to die. And his assessment of the situation is that uh, once you're past that age, you're not generally reproducing anymore. You're not needed for reproduction or or procreation. Your body knows that and it begins to shut down and and, and certain parts of your body are just starting to shut down. Now, I I don't know if that's a correct medical assessment or not. It's certainly insulting to those of you who are over 40, not me. (laughs) But when you think about that, that healthy things always grow and reproduce. And then part of life is there there comes a stage where something is now in decline. You think about that with regards to the life of our church. Where are we in the life of our church? And I think we would all very clearly say that we are healthy. The evidence is that we are growing, people on the floor, and reproducing, 
church plants, campus launches. As a church, we are growing and reproducing. We are in the, in, in the life stages of our church in a healthy place. Healthy things grow and reproduce. But reproduction is difficult and growing can be painful. And as much as we're growing and reproducing, we're experiencing some growing pains and some birth pains, some difficulty. And so what I want to do today is, is kind of play the role of a birth coach. Okay, for, for the birth coach, the concern is both for the mama and baby. And, and the Carpinteria campus is the mama of everything reality, uh, of the Ventura campus, of our church plants in, 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 in Stockton and San Francisco and Los Angeles and London and the ones to come, of the coming Santa Barbara campus. Carpinteria, this campus, is the mama, okay? And we're about to birth another baby, and I want to be the coach. And, and what the coach is concerned about is that mama and baby are both good. We want mama and baby to both be healthy and get through the difficult process of birthing in, in a healthy manner. So I'll start by doing this. I'll start by reminding us, church, of where we once were, okay? It wasn't that long ago for many of us that before meeting Jesus, we were lost in our sins. We were those that the Bible said were hostile to God, consigned to hell, purposeless in life, restless in soul, awash in our guilt and our shame. The Bible says we were prisoners of sin. We were slaves to the devil and we were alienated from God. But we have been rescued by Jesus. That is our story. We were awash in shame and guilt. We were condemned. We were consigned to hell. We were slaves to sin and the devil. Inevitably, death was coming our way and death while alienated from God. And in some way, we were listless and lifeless and void of purpose, but we have been rescued by Jesus. And that is our story. That is our story. And 1 Peter chapter 2 gets at this. When in the second part of verse 12, it begins to say, you lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ, Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. I'll read it again. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Excuse me, Ephesians chapter two. So this truth begins to form our core identity and the perception of ourselves individually and corporately. This truth that we were alienated from God, we've been rescued by Jesus and brought near to God, forms our core identity and our self-perception so that we together as the church begin to understand ourselves in this way. What is the church? It is the people of God called by God and sent by God for the glory of God, to meet the needs of the world with God. Notice those important prepositions, okay? This is our working definition of church, what we are. The people of God, called to God, sent by God for the glory of God to meet the needs of the world with God. 
This is our story. This is who we have become and are continually becoming. Even though we were alienated from God, lived apart from ultimate purpose, lived for our own glory, and were driven by selfishness, we've been saved because of what Christ did, because of God's kindness. So Christ came, rescued us, renewed us, restored us, redeemed us, so that we have become, once again, the people of God, called to God, sent by God for the glory of God to meet the needs of the world with God. Now, we should think deeply upon that self-perception, that definition of church. What does it mean that we're the people of God? It means that we're God's own possession, that we're special to God, that God has ordained that we belong to him, right? First Peter now. 2.9 says, but you were, but you are, excuse me, a people for God's own possession. You know, the scripture says we, we previously were enslaved to the enemy. We lived for ourselves and for wrong things. And now because of what Christ has done for us, we belong to God. You are loved, you are owned, you are wanted. You are identified with the God of the universe as his beloved children. You are his special possession. And then it says that we're called to God. Okay, we're owned by God and we're called to God. You know what that means? It means God wants to be with you. He's called you to himself. That was God's original design. That, that's what we saw in the garden. God created man for his own pleasure. God, God endeavored to be with man. We see that reflected when he told Israel to construct the tabernacle. He said, I want a place where I could meet with you. And then that continued in the temple. And then that continues in the church age. And in eternity, ultimately, when God gets his way, that will be the case. We will be with God for God wants you to be with him. We read about the beginning in the garden that Adam and Eve could hear the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He was present. He was there. He was with them. And then we read about eternity at the very end. If you go to the end of the book, Revelation 21, it says, look, God's home is among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And in the interim period, the church age, that in which we exist, our understanding of church is that when we get together, God is present with us. Isn't that our understanding? I mean, I, honestly, I'd rather be surfing than hanging out with you guys if God isn't here. I'll just be honest. The, the understanding is that when the church gets together, God is present in the person of Christ. We read in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 1, that Jesus is the one who walks among the seven lampstands, the seven lampstands representing the churches. He, he walks in our midst. You see, God wants to be with his people, and we are his own possession. But then, being his, he does something interesting, and he sends us into the world, Right? We are the people of God, called to God, sent by God. He wants to use us now as his own to accomplish his purposes in the world. Again, 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're his own in order that 
we may proclaim his excellencies. We might tell others of the wonderful thing that we've experienced in the work of Christ upon the cross, the gospel, the good news of Jesus and what God has done for us in his love. And in doing that, in engaging in God's mission, we discover that we now exist for God's glory. Whereas previously we were sick with our own glory. That's a plague of all humanity. We, we We are sick with longing for our own glory. We now begin to live for the glory of God and not merely for self. Romans 11.36 reminds us, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we're the people of God. We're his own possession. We're called to God. He actually wants to be with us. We're sent by God. He wants to use us for his purposes. We exist for his glory and not our own, which is so incredibly freeing. And then we get to meet the needs of the world with him. We become, as God forms his heart in us and we're conformed to the image of Christ, a people who are concerned with the plight of people. Our our heart begins to beat with the heart of God for the broken world. We, We read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's being very personal to us now. We also love the world in that sense of wanting to see it healed of its brokenness. And so Jesus, knowing this, as he formed his heart in us, said, as the Father has sent me, I now send you into the world. As broken vessels, but vessels nonetheless, possessing the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, all of this is profoundly Christocentric. Big word, but you know it. Christ-centered. Right, this is all nailed and hangs on the person of Jesus Christ. Right, the fact that we're people of God, of God called to God, is only because Christ reconciled us to God. We're sent by God with Christ. All mission is Christ's mission. All ministry is Christ's ministry. Acts one one says, "I'm composing this letter, dear Theophilus, to tell you of all that Christ began to do and teach. He began to do it." but he's continuing to do it through you and through me, through us together. All mission is Christ's mission. All ministry is Christ's ministry. And he said, lo, I am with you always to the degree that you are engaged in the mission when he commissioned us. We exist for the glory of God. That's only accomplished by Christ at the cross and Christ in us. And we exist to meet the needs of the world and the greatest need in the world is Christ. What does the world need more than clean water? more than food, more than even shelter. Jesus. And we've been sent into the world with the good news of Jesus. Now, because that's all profoundly Christocentric, it, it only happens because of Jesus. Then, then we could say this as a church. Here's our mission, okay? Why do we exist as reality? What are we doing together? We need to all get this, okay? This is what we are striving to do together, okay? We exist to explain and expose Jesus to as many people as possible. That's what we're doing. We exist to explain and expose Jesus to as many people as possible. Now, let's think about that for a moment. 
It has a theological, missional, and relational component to it. That's our paradigm is reality that we run everything through. How is it theological? How is it missional? How is it relational? What does it say about God? What does it accomplish in the world? How does it love people? Okay, it's theological because we're seeking to explain the person of Christ. That's a part of why we exist and why we exist together. That's why we spend. That's why we allow ourselves to be spent to tell, to speak forth, to explain Jesus and what he's done. It's theological. Okay, it's missional because we don't only want to talk about Jesus, we want to demonstrate Jesus, right? Especially in this culture. We're living in a culture that says, don't tell me anymore, show me. Because I'm hearing lots of competing truth claims. We live in a pluralistic society, right? Where, Where truth or truth claims are given equal value. Show me something real. So we need to not only be involved in showing forth Christ in word, but in deed. So it's missional. We explain and we expose. And it's relational. It has to do with people. We want to explain and expose Jesus to as many people as possible because people matter. Every single person matters. And their greatest immediate need is Jesus. Now, Again, it's profoundly Christocentric because what are we explaining and exposing? It's not a social agenda. It's not. It's not a political agenda. It's not some mere philosophy of man. It's not good ideas or, or busyness or causes or self-help. We are explaining and exposing Jesus. Everything else takes back seat all the time, like fifth seat back. We exist to explain and expose Jesus. Everything else is subordinate to that. We do it in proclamation, explaining, and demonstration, exposing. And the last thing I'll say about that mission statement is it's big. We exist to explain and expose Jesus to as many people as possible. To as many people as possible. To as many people as possible. Healthy things grow and reproduce. When Jesus commissioned the church, he said, go into all the world telling everybody as many people as possible. We as reality, um, this September will be our eight-year anniversary. And in that time, we, we've, we've taken measures at times to try to stay small. Because in some ways, small is it's more fun as a church. Honestly, you know everybody. I know very few of you in this room right now. You know everybody. There's better relationships and intimacy and accountability and community and an experience of that. And, and you know, it costs less. And there's all sorts of reasons why, why small is wonderful. And so we've tried to do that. We've tried to stay small. We didn't grow when we should. And we didn't find other facilities. And I frequently offend as many people as I can trying to send away those who we don't want here. And we've tried really hard to stay small. And every time that we've tried to do that and we've not enabled growth when we should have, God has rebuked us. He said, you are called to reach as many people as possible with the good news about me. Don't you dare keep it from anybody. We feel the weight of that and the burden of that. So here's how we generally do that as a church, okay? This Explaining and exposing Jesus to as many people as possible happens in three spaces in all of our lives. 
Okay, the first space is a church gathering space. When we get together, Sundays, midweek, other meetings, when we get together, the church gathering space, we're explaining and exposing Jesus to one another and to others in those spaces. And what we primarily try to do for the church, for Christians, is inspire, equip, train, and mobilize. Okay, that's the job of of the leadership in the church, according to Ephesians 4, is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So we want to inspire you to godly and missional living. We want to equip you to do that. We want to train you to do that. We want to mobilize you to do that. And we we do that in a large group. Now, we've not done very well with training as a church. We just haven't. So currently... One of the things that's on the front burners for the leadership of this church is to get better at training. So we're developing some intern programs. We're developing a school of of mission and ministry where we could train people to live uh, missional, fruitful, God-glorifying lives wherever they find themselves in their vocations and to also gauge in different sorts of Christian work and church planning, so on and so forth around the world. That's a, a front burner issue for us. We need to get better at training each other to live fruitful, missional lives for the glory of God. Another reason that we gather together is for a pooling of resources. You see, when we pull our resources, we could do more than we could do individually. We recently gave away a quarter of a million dollars as a church. Very few of us here could do that on our own. And so when, when we, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very few of us. And so when we get together, we're able to do that and and have profound, large impact by the pooling of resources. And of course, not just money, talent, right? Pooling of our time, our energies, our our, our connections, our abilities. We we, we pull these things together and and we build orphanages in Thailand, right? We we, we do stuff like that. We we do things in the local community. We're a part of, of babies being saved, rather than given over. There's, there's all sorts of ways that God is glorified through the pooling of resources. But we're endeavoring to get better about training, and you'll see that coming in the next couple years. The second space where we explain and expose Jesus is in the community space. Okay, that's basically service in and to your neighborhoods and community. Service in and to your neighborhoods and community, and done in community. So this is another place where we've not done that well as a church is breaking this large gathering down into smaller gatherings that together could start to reach their neighborhood, explain Jesus to the neighborhood, expose Jesus to the neighborhood, and then do it in the cities. That's another front burner issue for us is we're redesigning, revamping our small groups. We want to be able to be transformed in community in order to transform our communities. So in the coming year, you'll see a big shift here where we realize, listen, let's get in little bands, little tribes, and reach our neighborhood together. You live in that neighborhood, so do I. You live in that city, so do I. Let's get together and start to reach people and explain and expose Jesus. The third space and final space where that's accomplished is the personal space. So your immediate sphere of relationships and influence, your family, your friends, your work, your school, where you are the church scattered. We're not gathered now, we're scattered. You're out in the world. And we talked about this in Missio Christi, right? That every Christian is sent by God to wherever they are. You're a mom, you're, you're a wife, you're a husband, you're an engineer, you're a school teacher, you're a student. You are sent by God there to explain and expose Jesus to as many people as possible. And that's something that we're working on and we're beginning to catch that sense of sentness that God would have us have. Now, 
Returning to Ephesians 2, you lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. So that then forms our identity as a church. That dictates what we do as a church. And that also does this. It causes us to continually celebrate. I mean, if you, if you really read that passage with a heart that's alive to God, it causes you to celebrate continually. And, and what the responsible Christian and responsible Christian community does then is invite people to the party. Look, I was consigned to hell. I, I, I was lost in my sin. I've been saved by Jesus. I've been washed white as snow. I've been given hope, peace, and joy, and eternity, and a brand new life. And I'm stoked about it. And I'm having a party, and I'm inviting people. This gospel truth forms in us a heart of celebration that is always invitational. We're always celebrating and inviting people to the party. And as reality is a church together, as a gathered church, our party's gotten too big. It just has, right? My parents went out of town one time and I had a party at their house when I was in high school and it got too big. It was out of control. It was a big problem. Same thing here. We're having a gospel party and it's gotten too big. There's people sitting on the floor. There's crowding issues. There's no parking, so on and so forth. And this is summer, the low season, when hundreds of our students are gone. Our party's gotten too big. So that the only solution that we have to continue to celebrate and invite people into that celebration and not be exclusive and not have closed doors was to go to multi-campus. Now, if you still don't understand the theology and philosophy behind a multi-campus approach, online, we've posted all of my teachings about it. There's a couple of them. There's some short things about it. There's some stuff written about it. The theology and the philosophy of the multi-campus approach to doing church. So right now you could go to realitysb, realitysb.com, and all of that is posted right there. I want everyone in our church to have an understanding why we're going to be one church in three locations and not just get successively bigger buildings. Okay? I want everybody to understand that because ultimately what it does is allow us to have a better party with more people in the parties when we go to multi-campus. Now, once again, healthy things grow and reproduce. And in a church, when men and women and children are grasped by the gospel, grasped by the gospel, then growth is inevitable. Growth is inevitable. And celebration is continual. And the invitation to others is natural. And that's what's happening with us. We have been grasped by the gospel and we can't help but grow. I'm six foot six, six five and three quarters. And uh, whatever. I always round up. I'm seven feet tall. And uh, I used to have a lot of growing pains when I was a kid. I got some stretch marks on my body. Disgusting, I won't show you. <laughs> growing pains when I was a kid. And I always had this pain in my legs and my mom would rub my legs at night. And my dad would be like, it's just growing pains. Leave the kid alone. But, you know, my sweet mom, she would rub me. I always had these growing pains. We are experiencing growing pains as a church. Okay, some of you might be unaware. Many of you are aware. We are experiencing growing pains and birth pains. 
talked about birthing being painful. We're, we're, we're birthing right now. It's always painful. So a couple places where it's painful right now. One on the staff level. Okay, the, the, the staff and the leadership at your church, we're, we're in over our heads. This is new territory for us. We have zero expertise and zero experience. We don't know what we're doing. So it's a little bit painful. We're trusting Jesus. We're, we're praying like crazy. We're desperately wanting to be obedient. But I'll just be honest. We don't know what we're doing. But we're trying to follow the Lord. And that, that's a painful process for us. And, and, and this expansion of mission has come with a lot of warfare. The leaders and the staff of this church are experiencing, really for many of us, unprecedented warfare. The warfare that I've experienced in the last uh, couple months of my life has been different than any sort I've ever had. And at times it's made me want to give up. It's been really, it's been gnarly. So, so, so there's some, some growing pains and birthing pains on that level. There's also some tremendous pain on the level of the Carpinteria campus, okay? The Carpinteria campus is the mama that's birthing. The Carpinteria campus is the one that has grown the most over the years. And so allow me to take a few moments to encourage and comfort those who will continue to call the Carpinteria campus their home campus. Let me first say this. When Jesus came on the scene and people were discussing whether or not he was truly the Messiah, one of the reasons that they thought he might not be is that he was born in a small town and he came from a small town. He was born in Bethlehem. It's like, it wasn't a big deal at that time. And then he was raised in Nazareth, which was like, nothing good comes from Nazareth. And, and people marveled. How, how can he be the Messiah with such small beginnings? You know that people marvel that this church in the small town of Carpinteria has planted the fastest growing church in urban Los Angeles? We marvel that this church in Carpinteria has planted the fastest growing church in the city of San Francisco. We marvel that what Forbes magazine named to be the number one most miserable city in America, Stockton. (laughs) And it is. (laughs) Has this vibrant, multi-campus, growing church in it. The things that have come from this little church in this little town are astounding. Our, Our church planners guys that are profoundly affecting culture and generations of Christian and the, uh, Christians in the cities that they're in. Tim Chaddock, Dave Lomas, Josh Kaler, Al Abdullah. These guys were nurtured under your care in your community, receiving your love, your encouragement. They were allowed to grow here, to make mistakes here, to learn here. And those guys are out changing the world now because of the care and the love that you guys have shown them. You guys have been the most fruitful, productive, wonderful mother of a church you could imagine. To the glory of God, you guys have been absolutely incredible. And what I want to encourage you with, Carpinteria Campus, is that that will continue because there is an anointing on this campus in this city to raise up leaders, to see people healed, restored, renewed, and sent into the world on mission for the glory of Christ. You you guys are just anointed for that. 
And this place is going to continue to be, as we move forward and doing more training and better training and schooling and teaching, this place will be a center because in Santa Barbara, we're not going to have a facility like this. This facility remains and it remains intact. And this will really be a center for training and raising up and sending out. There'll be all sorts of life that continues to happen at this campus after September 4th when we start the Santa Barbara campus. You guys have an anointing that is affecting the world. You guys have a grandbaby church in London. That sort of thing is going to continue. Now, obviously, there's some changes going on, which is creating some of the birthing pains and some of the growth pains. And most of them are concerning personnel. One of them being the fact that I will not be preaching live normally here at the Carpinteria campus. I'll be preaching live at the Santa Barbara campus, as you guys know. And that is what it is. And I I wouldn't do that unless I could stand before you and in all truth tell you that I believe God is calling me to do that. And I don't just believe that. My family believes that. The elders and the leadership of this church believe that. My mentors and my peers and my cohorts, we, we all believe that that's what God is calling me to do, to be present at Santa Barbara preaching from that campus. Which means that I won't physically be here. I'll say a couple things about that. First of all, you all have TVs. You all have computers. You all have screens. You all will adjust to me being on the screen. Ventura Campus. Ventura Campus has had a screen since day one. When I go to the Ventura Campus to teach there on occasion, you know what they say? Pastor Britt, it's so nice that you were here, but we really love the screen. (laughs) Ventura Campus, do you guys love the screen? Do you guys, can you hear them? They're cheering right now. You can hear them from Ventura. They're cheering. I know some of you don't believe that. I want to invite you in the next few weeks to go down to the Ventura campus to experience that. Listen, the Ventura campus is a thriving, vibrant, missional, worshipful, on fire, fruitful healing place. Um, And I'm just almost never there. And it seems that Jesus is able to do awesome things anyway. Wow. The other thing I'll say is this. You know, so I won't, there'll be a little bit of a change in access because I won't be here on Sunday mornings. How many of you have had a conversation or encounter with me on Sunday mornings in the last six months? Raise your hand. Keep them up. Raise them high. Eight, 10? About 10 of you? Out of several hundred of you. Okay, so those 10, I will come to your house for dinner. We'll keep that up. I will come, you will feed me. We'll continue to enjoy that fellowship on Sunday evenings. The rest of you, it doesn't matter to you. (laughs) We didn't talk anyway. I wanted to, it just never happened. So everything will continue as is. I'll keep an office here at this church, I'll have an office here at the Carpinteria campus. I'll have an office at Santa Barbara. Pastor G, same thing. He'll have an office at the Carpinteria campus, an office at Santa Barbara. Everything will remain intact here, fiber ministry. And here's the way our staff works. We have some staff members who are cross-campus, like Amber Smith, who does, uh, who's our missions coordinator. She's cross-campuses, our media team, uh, different teams that are across-campus. And then we've got... Uh, staff that are dedicated to certain campuses. So the Ventura campus has, has a team down there that they're just 
at that campus all week long, every Sunday responsible for that campus. We're going to have a team that's dedicated to this campus. And I just want to tell you that we are committing our very best pastoral care as reality to this campus. Pastor Sean and Pastor Todd will be present here every week, every Sunday, full time, committed to the Carpinteria campus. Carol Stoltz, who does our children's ministry, will continue to oversee the children's ministry. That incredible quality and care that our kids get will be unhindered. Our youth ministry, those guys, will remain intact. There'll be the same oversight. So there's going to be some change, but the things that really make a difference are going to be present. Same facility, many of the same people, dedicated staff and elders, same access to me on Sunday, really, and the same spirit. But what's important is this. There's going to be better opportunity. There's going to be better opportunity to reach the community of Carpinteria. Because we're going to get rid of some of these other people. It's going to create some space, but here's what's going to happen. Carpenterians are going to come to their church in Carpenteria and see Carpenterians. You're going to look across and say, yeah, that's my neighbor. Oh, she lives in Franciscan Village. Oh, she lives over on Ogan. Oh, he lives over on Conchaloma. You're going to see people in Carpenteria who didn't even know they were Christians or went to the church. (laughs) And then together, we're going to plan how do we better reach our city. And this will be the focus of our campuses over the next few years. How does a Ventura campus effectively explain and expose Jesus in Ventura? How does a Carpinteria campus effectively explain and expose Jesus in Carpinteria? How does a Santa Barbara campus do that in the area of Santa Barbara? We're going to get better at that. We're going to be able to specialize in each one of our communities. We're going to be able to pull resources and reach our communities like never before. And there'll be a a more profound sense of intimacy, shared mission, and community among the campus here in Carpinteria. So admittedly, there's going to be some change, and, and it will be difficult. It's difficult for me. It'll be difficult for all of us. But I would say this, in light of what it's going to accomplish, which is significantly more people having Jesus explained and exposed to them, I would say it's well worth it. Christ suffered that we might be born again. There will be some suffering, but there will be birth. There will be new life that will come forth from us. Look at what Acts 9, 31 says. It says, so the church throughout all Judea in Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. Notice three locations. Previously, there were just one church in Jerusalem. That's where they started. They were one little church in Carpinteria. And suddenly, they were in Carpinteria, Ventura, and Santa Barbara. They were one little church in Jerusalem. And suddenly... Judea, which is where Jerusalem is, Galilee, and Samaria. One church, three locations, exactly like us. And yet they were experiencing, it says they enjoyed peace and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I want to get to that phrase, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. 
I'm not perfectly sure what that means, but it sounds good. They had the comfort of the Holy Spirit, even though they all used to be together in Jerusalem, and, and now they're spread out in three different locations. But was their situation really very comfortable? I mean, when you think what the church in Acts went through, listen, if you look at the book of Acts going up to Acts chapter 9, where it says they went forward in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, what happened in Acts chapter 1? Jesus left. That's kind of a downer. That's kind of a party pooper. Here's Jesus. He's healing everybody. He's raising from the dead. He's walking on water. He's feeding the people. And then peace, I'm out. (laughs) Acts starts with Jesus leaving. Okay, and then in Acts chapter 4, some of the disciples were detained and threatened by the community leaders. In Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira were struck down by God for lying about their giving. Things are getting gnarly. God bless you. Later in chapter 5, the apostles were arrested and put in jail, and then they were flogged and ordered not to speak about Jesus anymore. In chapter 6, there is a big dispute in the church about how benevolence was being distributed. In chapter 7, Stephen, who was a deacon in the church, was arrested and dragged before the community leaders, lied about, and then murdered. In chapter 8, we're told that great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem and that the church was being ravaged and men and women were being carried off to prison and they were scattered. Chapter 9 opens with threats and murders being breathed against the church. And yet somehow, in the same chapter, in verse 31, it says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up going on in the fear of the Lord. And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. You know, the hardest thing that we're going to have to experience is some personnel change and watching sermons on a screen. No one's getting murdered. No one's being arrested. No one's being told they can't preach Jesus. Nobody's getting dragged off. There's no division here. There's no dispute here. You see, I I, I am confident that if the church in Acts, with all the change and the pain they experienced, were able to experience a comfort of the Holy Spirit and enjoy peace, that we can too. There's no reason that we can't enjoy peace and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And, And you know what the church in Acts did? They stayed on mission. I I mean, they easily could have said, dude, so-and-so just got arrested. Stephen just got murdered. I'm out. The church in Acts stayed on mission. And because of that, men and women who were previously on their way to hell knew Jesus and were given eternity and new life. Listen, church, we got to stay on mission. Ventura campus, Carp campus, we've got to stay on mission. We've got to stay unified, one heart and one mind. We've got to believe together that Christ is leading us into this mission. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. And so we stick together and we stay on mission. And the best way to stay on mission is to pray together. So for the rest of the summer, all of our Tuesday morning prayers at the Carpinteria campus will be dedicated to praying for this birthing process of the Carpinteria campus. What does that mean for this campus? What does it mean for the community and for mission and for wellness and wholeness and love? So every Tuesday morning, 7 a.m., right here for half an hour, 40 minutes, we'll be praying for the health of mama 
as she births this new baby. We'll get through it together, praying. I invite you guys to come pray. Ventura campus, you guys need to know that the Carpinteria campus prayed you into existence. And for a year and a half, a whole bunch of them drove to Ventura every Thursday night and prayed for the birth of your campus. You guys are the fruit of the faithful prayers of men and women at the Carpinteria campus. So will you pray now for this campus? Will you pray for the mom that birthed you? that she'll successfully and healthily birth this new campus in Santa Barbara. The other way to stay on mission together is to work together. And we need a lot of volunteers for the Santa Barbara campus. We currently have less than 200. We need close to 400. So I want to invite you guys to be a part of the work. In front of you are little sign-up cards. You can sign them and uh, sign up and drop them off at the, at the info booth. We mostly need people to set up and tear down. We need a couple hundred people to sign up, to set up and tear down. I invite some of you that are going to be at the Carpinteria campus, go for nine months and serve at the Santa Barbara campus. Go set it up. It's your little baby. Go set up the crib. Go, 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 go set up the rocker. Go, go set it up for him. Go set it up for him. I invite you to be a part of that. Ventura, you got to be a part of that as well. We're, we're one church. We've got to be mutually invested. Our children's ministry for the Santa Barbara campus and here needs tons of help. Please sign up. The way that we stay on mission together is praying together and working together. Listen, in the book of Acts, the one place you didn't want to be as a member of the church was on the sidelines. This is not a time to be on the sidelines. This is a time to be on mission for the glory of God. And the last way that we stay on mission together is just promise each other that we'll keep everything about Jesus. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll keep it Christocentric. There's that word again. We'll keep it Christocentric. We'll keep it about Jesus as opposed to being about people, anthropocentric, right? Because our understanding is that when, when we gather together as a church, we are gathering unto, for, and around Jesus. That's that's what we're doing, right? In our minds, when I'm going to church, we should be thinking, I'm going unto, and I'm going for, and I'm getting around when my brothers and sisters have the same story of being saved like me. We're getting around Jesus. We got to promise to each other that we're going to keep church about Jesus and not let it become about some silly man. Not any man whatsoever that we keep it about Jesus. You see, if you're aware of that and you're purposeful about that and you say, I'm, I'm coming to do this thing because Jesus, then your experience, your Christian experience depends solely upon the work in the person of Christ. But if you're not aware and, and you're not purposeful, you, you let it become about people, who's there, who isn't there, who's on the screen, who's not on the screen, then your Christian experience to a large degree is dependent upon the work and the person of someone other than Jesus. And that, that, that's just going to be a disappointment. That, that's always going to be a disappointment. So, so we need to promise to pray together, work together, and keep it about Jesus together. And I promise you, we will experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Lord, thank you for the season in our church. Thank you for the growth. We thank you for the birthings, for the difficulty. And we thank you for the promise of your presence in our midst. And we say together once again that it's all about you, Lord, and not about us. And we just ask that you would keep us centered on you. That Jesus, you'd be the cause and the reason, the center 
of our community, our gathering and the cause for our scattering. And that we would enjoy peace through even this tumultuous time. We thank you for these things, Lord. We ask that you have your way in our church. In Jesus' name, amen.